This episode is brought to you by Lost Radicals T-Shirts, a new online T-shirt brand based in Columbus, Ohio, that reflects the designs of creative director Dave Barber's enduring passion for music, style, and storytelling. It opened for business with an initial collection mixing striking images and bold typography with a vintage rock aesthetic. The t-shirt I couldn't find anywhere else, which makes it a perfect gift for that hard-to-buy person in your life. I got mine today. In fact, I bought two. The collection will be celebrated at a launch party at Little Rock Bar, which is located at 944 North 4th Street, Columbus, Ohio, on November 27th at 7 o'clock p.m. If you love to support local music, fashion, and if you love cocktails, you don't want to miss this event that will feature headline musician Sid Finch, one of Rolling Stone Magazine's Best New Artists of 2014. Now that name is purposely mysterious, but with a little detective work, fans of Columbus Country Rock should be able to uncover whoever he or she really is. Sid will be followed by DJ Charles Erickson. You don't want to miss this event. It's going to be super fun. And what else do you have to do the night before Thanksgiving? Lost Radicals, fabricating iconic music. Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk, a podcast about bartenders and the stories they have to tell, as well as the storied history of cocktails, spirits, and bars. I'm Blair Beavers, and here's your host, Leanne Sims. So our guest tonight, listeners, is one of our favorites. He is a fabulous cook. He's one of the most articulate and smart and friendly young men that I know. He's also an amazing bartender, which is why he's here, of course. So welcome to the show, James DeFrance. Thank you. Excited to be here. um, I know you're an amazing cook because you invited us to your home a couple years ago for a very special, is it an Indian Thanksgiving? Is that? Yes. Yeah. So for seven years now, I've had uh, kind of melded the classic American Thanksgiving dishes with Indian subcontinental cuisine and uh, make a vindu turkey with stuff with naan and a whole bunch of curries and so forth and just invite, just gets bigger and bigger every year. It was amazing. Just just a fun passion project. The food so was incredible. I, di- I didn't know what to expect because I've never really had an Indian Thanksgiving. I guess <laughs> nobody really has. Cause I, that's, I know I had. That's not a thing except for at James's house. But <laughs> it was it was really amazing. Um, and we met you first at Denmark, mm-hmm. but now you are at the refectory, right? Yes. How's that? <laughs> it seems a little stuffy there. I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. It's a it's. One of our two four four diamond restaurants in the city, right? Mm-hmm. Amazing food, yeah. super cozy bar, great cocktails because you're there. But it's very different than Denmark. Oh sure, and um, it's kind of like the current regular clientele of the refectory is uh, um, the future of the clientele that's at Denmark. You know what I mean? <laughs> because those folks, a lot of them are younger professionals. But it's really exciting and enjoyable every day to be a part of someone's special occasion over and over again. Um, Because there are some people who come in maybe only once during their time at Columbus or once a year for their anniversary or something like that. Yeah, it really is a special special occasion. So there's that loveliness, but then combined with people for whom it is their kind of one of the focal points of their social lives where they come in very often are, are regulars who are there perhaps weekly um and they're they're really fun they're part of like a large extended family that keeps everything running yeah. and it's it's beautiful to be around 
all of that joy and then such wonderful food too. Yeah, it's amazing. So when I, for years, my office was located on Bethel Road, so I would go there often. And my, what I loved most about it was the cozy bar where you could have a conversation or a business meeting and you could hear each other talk without screaming. And it was just super cozy and, and it's fancy too. It's feels good to get fancy every once in a while. <laughs> what got you into bartending? Uh, I'm going to, I'll, I'm going to quickly give you the whole backstory. Oh, please if do. That's all right. Uh, I came to Ohio state from Vienna, Ohio. So rural Rust Belt town. I ended up at OSU probably just because I got waitlisted wait at Columbia and I was coming in hot as valedictorian and Eagle Scout and uh, choir boy, the whole the whole bit. And choir thought, boy, really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no longer. Um, <laughs> but I I, th- I thought, okay, well, I'm going to public university. This will be fine. And wanted to do something important, like in capital letters, wanted to study something important. So I was going to be a nuclear engineer. Five years at Ohio State. Uh, Encountered some challenges on that pursuit, but by the time I ended it, I actually had a BS in geography. I'd gone back to another interest I had, which was national security. And so it was two language classes short of an additional BA in Middle Eastern studies, also have a minor in economics. Ended up on five different committees that helped to run the university, did a bunch of really cool jobs. I actually did some engineering while a student, though I do not have a degree in that. Uh, helped build a solar-powered house, all sorts of really cool stuff, but graduated with very little um, experience that I could go out and like trot out to an employer uh, because trip to Egypt had been canceled out of the air as a result of the Arab Spring. I was uh, accepted to a Pentagon internship, and only the top 30 uh, academic achievers of the 60 who went through the whole like men in black uh, drug test, lie detector test, psychological evaluation, that <laughs> whole shit. thing. Um, they spent more than they would have paid us uh, over the course of that summer just to get that far. Uh, but they only took 30 out of 60. And so I ended up graduating with just the strange collage of, of different experiences and, and passions. Ended up working very briefly at a uh, membership organization for energy efficiency groups. And after six months, was fired and that was probably, in retrospect, a great day in my life, though I did not know it. Uh, and it was also my last day working at Ohio State, too. I had been working one and a half full jobs uh, through that period. And, in, and thank goodness they did not have a like going away celebration. Nobody had time for that <laughs> because it would have gone awfully. <laughs> here's, here's the funny thing about that day now. I had and kept a blind date that evening. Went to Hubbard Grill and Gary White was my bartender. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Never, never That's saw that guy again. <laughs> but <laughs> little did I know I would be seeing a whole lot of Gary. Uh, so after a period on unemployment, um, a dispiriting job interview or two later, walked into Elena's uh, Food and Wine, which was the closest restaurant to my house and had a dishwasher wanted sign. Said, I went to work and I saw the sign. And Elena says, Okay takes out this big sheet of paper, says, go to the bar and write down everything I need to know. Just strangest like process that I had yet. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, the bartender offered me a drink. She probably meant a soft drink, but I was so paranoid. I was like, no, 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 not going to do that. Um, and ended up dishwashing for her and slowly getting to prep stuff. Her tumultuous relationship with her garde manger on and off for nine years ended for another time. I get pulled back into the wine room. She says, 
you're moving up into the kitchen. We're gonna, you're gonna be doing the salad station. And I said, you know, I don't know anything, right? She goes, oh, that, that's perfect. Don't worry, I'm gonna teach you everything you need to know. Uh, and I ended up doing a little bartending and bar backing for a few nights there when Elena was um, sick for a weekend or two. Ended up running the kitchen, like all very quickly within the course of a year. And uh, and then I, I was in it, but I thought that was going to remain temporary. A uh, friend there kept on, like one of Gary's best friends actually kept on sort of nagging me like, hey, this place. So we should say Gary White is the one of the owners at Denmark on High. Absolutely. Um, he's going to be open. My, my friend's opening this place. Uh, you, know, you already have some interest in wine. I'm like, yeah, I don't know anything. They're going to have that. You can help them with their food program. And I got off the lunch shift at Ted's Montana Grill, walked over to the perilously slippery tile uh, entryway at Denmark, fell on my ass, got back up, <laughs> walked up to the second floor, and proceeded to have the most bizarre interview with Daniel Morris, who was the GM when they opened, and Gary talking about um, cannibalistic horror movies, learned that Gary didn't <laughs> like Morrissey on day one, uh, you know, the basics, just sort of, you know, just sort of intro, getting to know you sort of stuff. And they just open up the menu, say, here's the food we wanted to eat. They were doing a bit more Scandinavian sandwiches. Can you make all of this? And I said, sure, I can. <laughs> Could you really? No. <laughs> um, and in fact, they wouldn't end up really needing me to. Uh, or be, There was a lot of training. There were, we, had a, we had a lot of staff you always do when you open. Uh, and in a year through there, I was picking up a little bit of the bartending knowledge because there was only so much time spent on food. There was That's not what people were coming in for. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, at some point... Daniel had to leave for health reasons. Gary uh, it gets its ownership stake and is taking over the place. And then our head bartender leaves to become a GM someplace else. And uh, Gary had always, already made sure that I could be there full time, that he could afford that I he could afford that, and I could live doing that. And he said, "Hey, I want you to take over for James," which was so easy for our liquor and, and other sorts of reps because they'd come in to see James, and I am also a James, and <laughs> you're here to see me now. Uh, and and was the assistant general manager for two years. Uh, got just really was still getting some rudimentary bartending things in terms of knowledge under my belt, even at that at the start of that point, um, because it was more all of the inventory, ordering and administrative stuff, all these other things. A lot of people who spend years in the hospitality industry because they're getting by because they're working on side projects, which is a lot of the folks who were at Denmark, um, maybe that isn't their strong suit. Mm -hmm. And so hospitality was my like totally untrained (laughs) element in many ways. And that was still growing. Uh, But I I got to do all of the paperwork, which is delightful. You faked it till you made it. A bit of that too, yeah. So um, I think your superpower. Tell me if I'm wrong, but in the the time that I've spent with you, it seems like you are always calm, cool, and collected. Like it doesn't matter how chaotic shit gets, you always seem to have it together. Is that like totally fake, or are you just like, meh? I can do this. Um, I am. I am fairly unflappable. I'm very. Definitely got a lot of British grandparents there, you know, just sort of that uh, feeling. Um, When I lose it is infrequent and very unpleasant. Pretty Uh, severe once you get to that point. Yeah. But uh, but it's just um, in 
Uh, Elena, one of the things that I remember learning from her, well, first of all, people will ask how was working for her because she was known as a very combative chef. She's doing great work actually as the, um, the chef at the governor's residence now for Ohio. But, um, yes, it is true. Like very demanding. She's a she's a loud chef. Uh, but I was like, this is, this is like at home. Like this is, this is how somewhat how my mother operates. Our kitchens are both yellow. Like this is fine. I'm, I'm totally I can cool do with this. that. Yeah. <laughs> if someone wasn't berating me, I wouldn't know what to do, you know, and especially, especially at that point. And it's so different now working at refectory, not only is uh, chef Richard a calm, wonderful delight of a man, but also like the whole management staff is this very soft, like, know what to do you're an adult like let's just we're going to softly mold people into making sure what happens what is supposed to happen happens uh, it's such a different place yeah it sounds like a nice environment if, if i didn't know i would guess that it was like that behind the scenes because yeah. it's just so yeah and so chill mm -hmm. what a great place to just relax well i am so grateful to you uh, for our listeners who weren't able to attend our cocktail convention, we at the end of that, we had an amazing, what I thought was an amazing uh, competition that paired a chef with a bartender. And uh, you just stepped right in and made sure that the chef's dishes were executed the way they wanted them executed. And all of our studio audience got their cocktail and that their was food. That the most amazing part. Yeah, at the same time as the judges. And it was like, that made the audience feel like, they were part of the judging process, which they actually were because they were able to judge. But it, that's exactly how I envisioned it. And when I talked to Logan about it, Logan Demi at Citizens Trust, who was the lead uh, of the volunteers, he was like, you know how hard this is going to be, right? You know, that's going to be a lot of work. And I was like, I had no idea. Like, I thought I knew, but I really had no idea. So thank God that you came in and just like... <laughs> actually made it work. Made it happen flawlessly, and it was wonderful, so... Looking forward to yeah. this year. Hopefully, hopefully you'll you'll come back. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm excited. So, um, tell me about your uh, best story, your best bar story. Well, okay, Sean's told them all already. <laughs> <laughs> so those, Sean Taylor, yes, yeah, Sean so Taylor, don't count. Um, <laughs> but I, I was I was thinking about this and. It piggybacks on that theme, really, <laughs> of, of kind of being unflappable a little too conveniently. Um, I was working service bar one weekend evening, the the service bar in Denmark, so not, okay. the, not the one that's public facing, not um, and not referring to not what, the Middle West spirits, not the Middle West spirits restaurant, the actual the service bar within the bar. Yes, which so like you might pick up a couple of. Uh, bar seats that you are helping with primarily, but the purpose is to be sending drinks out into the, the rest of the lounge space. And so you're really just interacting with the servers, uh, particularly at peak business, which it wasn't yet. And a fella came up towards the end of the bar. He was with a group of people. Um, always I do usually like when groups have what I refer to as captains. Uh, sometimes you get to a, a, a big like dining party and, um, nobody's the captain and you're like looking at eight people who are struggling to decide between three salads and you're just 
<laughs> enraged. Uh, but, but you just wait. Just wait very calmly. Anyway, this is not the case. This fellow came up, knew what he wanted, had not looked at the menu, knew that he was at a cocktail bar, orders five drinks. One is basically like a vodka soda, two other reasonable, normal sort of things, then a Hemingway daiquiri and a Ramos gin fizz. And he came to the right guy because I love making Ramos gin fizzes. They were the first cocktail I memorized, like even before an old fashioned, I was sort of fidgety on what those ratios were, which is funny and says something not good about me. But, um, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, there was the thought, why didn't you look at the menu? There is cooler, better, but okay, but we're doing this. I had gotten new shoes that day. They're supposed to be non-slip. And I'm walking across the bar to grab grapefruits for the Hemingway and the Luxardo for that and the orange flower water so that, and the cream for items so that life can be complete. And I go off of the mat that's in front of the sink and plant my right foot. It slips. My left foot then lands in that wet, non-padded spot. And I am falling. And I grab with my, uh, with my hand the mat that is on top of the beer cooler that is right next to the sink. And this is where all of the net newly cleaned and polished glasses go. Ooh. And I do not succeed. One of my, my rules in life with regards to physics is when you need to fall, just fall. But I forgot that in this moment and tried to not fall. And I nonetheless did and took with me this entire a two and a half foot by two and a half foot plastic mat covered with glassware. And it all oh. proceeded to fall on me. Over 70 glasses came oh, falling and crashing. And I, I had, uh, it was the most uh, traumatic fall I'd had since I'd, I'd broken my hip a couple years before falling off a balcony. Lord. But it just, it was just, the, the noise wouldn't stop like for a long while. And not because my ears were ringing, <laughs> just because glasses were still falling. And it felt like it was going to be for forever. And I'm laying there for a second and somebody comes over, I think Sean comes over probably to, to pick me up and I just like wave him off because I want to assess this situation, but the safest thing I can do is put my hands under my body where there isn't glass, push myself up, and then, and by doing so very gently, will also uh, prevent glass shards from going everywhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that I am fine. I wave Sean off, and then the guy who ordered those drinks begins to slow clap <laughs> before I am up. And I know what he's about, and I and it's fine. But Gary comes, like, goes, are you okay? I'm okay. And he rushes over and begins to berate this guy for clapping, <laughs> thinking that he is clapping because I have fallen. <laughs> so we now have an, an allowed angry argument over here. I am in the middle of making five drinks, uh, which I dispatched to give to Misa. I am now standing up. I very gently get myself over towards uh, a trash can to take off my outer layers and shake everything gently so as to not just contaminate the entire bar with a suable amount of, of broken glass. glass. I dispatch Carlos and Francisco. I was like, hey, remember how I discovered that we had a case of beer glasses that were two and a half years old from when we opened down beneath the stairs? We're going to need all those. We're also going to need all these other glasses. Remember, if they're right side up, they're already polished, so just put them into rotation. Always the problem solver. Yes, I get Misa <laughs> to make two of the drinks I needed to make. I come back, and the argument is still going on and I'm like I just know better to not and the guy's like haven't you ever seen sports it's like that when the when a guy on the team gets hit and he's I'm just like applauding because you know he's still he's fine and he's in it he's like you didn't know that yet Gary is saying you didn't know that yet he's he's on the ground one of my guys could be seriously injured I could be sending him on the way to the hospital and I make the Ramos gin fizz the Hemingway daiquiri deliver all five drinks 
while they're still arguing. While they're basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> while they're <ripping> up. <laughs> and then I, I get back to my tickets on the, the station. Well, I mean, let's see. And again. next. Yeah. Slow clap. <laughs> That's awesome. So it sounds like you have a falling issue at Denmark. Is that why you left? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, just happened those twice. No, I, well, the balcony was in college from out. No, party. I meant the first time you went where you slipped. Oh, right. I forget. You know, it's just a thing <laughs> in my life. My sister has a falling issue, too. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are just like that. Yeah. You just you just fall, randomly fall. Yeah, yeah. I get it. So um, you have in mind a cocktail that you're going to make for us tonight. Tell us about yes. that. Um going to bring back, actually, um, do I, I'm going to talk real quick about the three Absolutely. ways in which I make cocktails, mm-hmm. typically. Cool. Um, there's three different sort of types of things. One of them is escaping me at the moment. The, there are the sort of push cocktails or maybe base spirit cocktails where I know I need a tequila cocktail. Maybe it's because they are com- a brand is coming in and we are doing an event with them. And that ends up being like the hardest approach because I don't have a flavor profile in mind. And like the most obvious answer is already answered. And anyway, this is not one of those. The other is, um, excuse me, is a, is a bus cocktail is what I like to call it, where I just think of a good set of flavor combinations that are maybe kind of interesting, build the whole cocktail in my head on the bus. What do you, oh, bus cocktail. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and I come in and usually I have all the ingredients almost there and just usually it's just like a ratio change, maybe a little saline or a little bitters or something. And it's like, it's an almost done cocktail in my head. And then there are, um, the, the problem or almost like cone in the, um, K O A N in the, like the Buddhist sense, like, uh, I create a, a problematic question for myself and then proceed to answer it in the form of a beverage, uh, like making a spicy scotch cocktail, which I have, uh, the night watcher has been at Denmark and now it's at refectory and it's got like very dark kind of cigar, like, uh, Urfa chili pepper in it with, a, um, an apple gas streak along with smoky scotch and a little Averna to keep everything kind of balanced and add a little an herbaceousness to it. That was all, how will I make a spicy scotch cocktail? Because I had been wondering that myself. I had had a bad one and I'm like, mm-hmm. this is this is doable. Let's do this. So this uh, was to round out a like camping or outdoors theme. And I wanted to bring, make a s'more cocktail um, and, and one that like actually would taste like it. And uh, so this is the Give Me S'more. We have Old Forester bourbon, cream, and drambuie in equal parts, and a little dash of Frangelico and some uh, some chocolate sauce or spread, chocolate spread. Uh, we used um, chocolate dope from Grumpy Goat when we were at Denmark. And then the whole thing gets a, if all has worked right, uh, gets a toasted marshmallow cream foam on top. Yeah. So I brought my torch. And awesome. then you get to eat and drink this thing all together. And it's, it's, a, it's a good, fun dessert Sounds cocktail. Sounds amazing. So tell me your categories again. Bus cocktail. But bus, where it's, it's just a concept that comes together. Usually it's flavor-driven. 
problem cocktails where problem. I create a problem for myself and then answer it in the form of drinks and then push cocktails where I have to do it. And it's usually because it's it's base driven. And remind me again which this one is. This is a problem cocktail. Problem cocktail. Which are my, they tend to be my favorite. Okay. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break and James is going to mix us up a cocktail and we will be right back. <laughs> And we are back with this amazing looking cocktail. James, tell us again the name of this. Oh, this is the Gimme S'more. Gimme Gimme S'more. So tell us what's in it, James. Uh, Old Forester bourbon, drambouille, cream, bit of frangelico, and chocolate spread. Nice. And the garnish is? Got a marshmallow whipped topping and a little graham cracker chocolate, you know, classic s'more build to complement. Looks delicious. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Now, should we take a bite? Oh, my God, that's good. Should we take a bite and then drink, or does it matter? You can, you can do whatever you want. Ideally, when the foam's thick enough, you can act, you actually want to play around with it. Oh, so dunking. Yes. Oh. Okay, now it all makes sense. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. You know, there is nothing better than chocolate and whiskey. <laughs> What's Drambuie? I've actually never had it before. It is a scotch-based honey liqueur. Hmm. So it adds a lot of sweetness That's into really your mix, good. but I, I like it. I also like it as a sweetener with um, with aged tequilas as well. So that's kind of cool. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So scotch and tequila. Yeah. Scotch-ish. Scotch, yeah. Scotch honey liqueur. Yeah. So. Wow. This is this is fun things. So obviously a dessert cocktail, but wow, so well balanced. Really, it's still boozy Mm -hmm. and really delicious. Way better than those chocolate martinis you get. Right. (laughs) Really good. Thank you for this. This is wonderful. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's dangerous. That is so good. Yeah, because we know how much uh, whiskey went in there. <laughs> yeah. How much whiskey went in there? Everybody got their shot of whiskey. Oh, okay, nice. And then the Drambuie. Awesome. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier about adding saline to a cocktail. Why do you add saline to a cocktail? I don't necessarily do it often, but uh, sometimes when you have a lot of really bright flavors, especially bright citrus flavors, a little salt can uh, bring that, reel that back in, back into balance. Um, And occasionally I have had cocktails that are, I'd say almost balanced to a fault where whatever I wanted to be the distinguishing flavor didn't necessarily uh, be as pronounced because I was like, no, I wanna wanna bring that back into an internal balance between um, sour and boozy and if there's or whatever your your other sort of elements would that be umami or creamy or what have you that you add so this past this past year one of the cocktails i used to apply to the world-class competition ended up kind of smashing together 
they wanted to see a Scotch Tiki cocktail. That was one of the several prompts that was given to us as a potential idea. And I ended up taking a pina colada and elements of a Mai Tai, bringing those together where I had um, Talisker, Scotch, smoky. It's pervasively smoky. It's not overwhelming like a Lagavulin or Lafroigar, but it's all the way through its flavor profile. And then cucumber juice and then uh, lemon and orange liqueur and uh, coconut cream and pineapple juice. And to bring that kind of tie that back all together and get the, the smoke and the savoriness uh, from the cucumber all the way through had a saline solution with a little bit of coriander and black pepper. So it's like in cooking, adding salt. Yeah. But why wouldn't you just throw some salt in there? Oh, well, to measure your concentration. Okay, gotcha. So there's a More control precise. element. Gotcha. Yeah. So t- like, and it's way better than salting the rim of the glass because it's actually part of the cocktail. Right. Well, you know, then there's, there's um, you have to balance when out and kind of creating drinks, how much you want guests to have fun and control their own destiny and how much you want them to have exactly what you want them to mm-hmm. have. So yeah. if you get a 10% by volume <laughs> or mass saline solution, and then you're doing specifically however many drops, you have a very good idea of how much salt you're, you're putting into the mix. Like um, There are other times I've put out drinks. We had a Love Potion number 9, which was like a perfectly fine Jack Daniels whiskey sour to start off with, but then there was a mixture of um, Chinar and Zucco Robobaro, two really strong uh, Italian Amaris that I left together in a tiny little one ounce flask hanging off the side of the drink, and guests could add that as they wanted and really transform their beverage at their own mm. pace, which was a fun one. That's fun. Do you find that uh, that patrons like that sort of thing, or do they just want you to make it for them? Do mm. they like the interactive? They do, they, yes, they do like the interactivity. And it you know, depends on how what they've come to the bar with the intention of doing mm-hmm. and the type of social. If they are coming out for cocktails and for an experience, then we've got that. If they want their same straight vodka martini i'm happy to make that too and and at refectory you're given that freedom to be creative that way absolutely that's awesome yeah, i get i get to do whatever i want so long as it isn't uh losing money or you know, gumming <laughs> up the whole works of of right. the place i it, as long as i can get out to a table the way it's supposed to i, I can do whatever i like so that's if right. if, that's great. if we go to the refectory what should we order mm. what would you recommend that people order when they visit I hate this question. <laughs> okay, forget it. No, that no, but, but I would like to. I would love to address why. Do you have a favorite cocktail on the menu at the moment? I certainly don't. Well, let him address oh. why. <laughs> address. Uh, I, I, may, I write the whole menu, and it's and I am in the place where I am in a place where it's a one man show. I select which classics are listed. I select which spirits are used. I make all of, all of these class the uh, refectory creations are my drinks at this point in time. I will also have a specials menu, and so we're celebrating sherry, and I have put together food to pair with different sherries, a couple of sherry cocktails to highlight. I've curated that whole thing, which means that I universally recommend all of them. I've already (laughs) done all of the recommending, and the guests don't necessarily know that or care, Um, but then they will ask, what do you recommend? All of it. And not, not like, I don't recommend that you drink all of it, but let's instead have a conversation about the type of thing that you would like. And I would love to guide you to the solution there, too. No, that's great. That's cool. 
Yeah, that's. I think that's the the best way to do it. You're the the consummate um, professional bartending professional. Who is the um, who was the gentleman that passed away this past a week? couple of years ago? Uh, no, the guy oh, that sorry. died this week. He was all about hospitality. His oh, Gus Regan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, writer of the Joy of Mixology, bringer back of orange bitters, a great advocate for obscure ingredients. Uh, and he had been at the game for uh, a great long time, and I'm fortunate. I just got the anniversary edition of his book, which was, was a good a good buy. And he updated it to talk about infusions and all sorts of things. Like it's one thing to go back, and he'll mention, "Well, you might have difficulty making aviation because you can't get creme de violette." Well, guess what? You can get that anywhere in the U.S. now, which is delightful. And it's one thing to go back and to do that, but he was definitely staying on top of his craft the entire way through because there are updates to talk about uh, the newer techniques and, and you know, was with it until his dying day in terms of what, what we thought bars should do and should be able to have. Awesome. So do you have any upcoming uh, competitions that you're going to be? I don't. I went and I looked back and I've done 10 competitions um, in four years, and a lot of them are local, but I have actually, I'm taking a year off applying it'd be really hilarious if my wheel will weakens and there's now a testament to the fact that I wasn't going to uh, I got a little tiny bit of insider information that will be soon public about uh, Diageo's world-class competition for this year as someone was trying to it's been really funny I did not think I did the regionals twice went mm-hmm. to Las Vegas did it in Minneapolis this past year for the Midwest and when I went to the national competition. And it's one thing to know that you've gone from 500 or so applicants and gone funneled through a process, which there are 50 competitors. Now you're with the um, top tw- what, 15, top 15 in the nation for this competition. Not one of the top 15 bartenders in the whole of the United States. I am not claiming that. Uh, but it's like, oh, cool. I am one of these people. And then just saw some stuff that absolutely blew me away. And both because it's a lot of work, but also because I'm not certain that I'm quite there. I'm going to take some time off and just work on my craft and work on learning things over the course of the next year. And I'm going to try to not compete, though it feels like a and, spastic thing where I just do it. And write your cocktail book, James Buss's Cocktail. James's Buss Cocktail. <laughs> yes. We can, have a little, with the little, like we can have a little kid's uh, style <laughs> where it's the bus and a little little thought bubble up to a martini glass. Yeah. Fun for the whole family. Hilarious. Yes, mm-hmm. fun for the whole family. Because you're you're going to get drunk and you don't care what your kids are doing. <laughs> <laughs> so any other stories you want to share with us before we let you go? Oh, I want to... Can I talk about something Please. else? Not exactly. It's, Absolutely. So I had uh, definitely had a little bit of internal struggle um, through the time working at Denmark going, is this... Is this a good use of my time of, of bartending and of managing? And there were always days when it did feel really good, when the, the team got through things, we were pretty happy with it. And when I, I genuinely do love making guests happy, but it is not the satisfaction that I seek in work uh, so much as just like a sort of an objectively well done job. But I actually, uh, was sort of accepting this and right after I had started at 
refectory got to go on the behind the barrel program that wild turkey puts on and thrown together with 20 random bartenders, not random, excellent bartenders uh, from across the Midwest and Southwest was, was in our group. People you knew or did not know. Did not know. No, this okay. is applicants from all over the place. And they do this every year. Uh, Wild Turkey brings a, a ton, dozens and dozens of people specifically to their distillery. You get to camp out there for a few days. Uh, they have you shoot guns before they start bur- <laughs> serving bourbon. That's good. <laughs> good. Um, and... You know, and we're, and we're hanging around uh, the fire, and I'm talking to talking to people. Just there was a campfire there every night. One night there was bluegrass; it was excellent. Uh, we're passing around a uh, the the Russells had been turned off for the evening. Let's say they they put away the, the bourbon that brought out some stuff that I had, and I was talking to um, to Bruce Russell, the grandson of Jimmy Russell, and he began to talk about uh, robotics, which he really enjoys. He uh, recreationally and money to builds computers and I'm thinking oh my goodness your whole life is ostensibly from the outside would be bourbon we're selling whiskey that going around doing this touring and you have the all these other passions mm-hmm. and you're keeping this alight and going and you can do that and I had been kind of worried because bartending is a thing you can do recreationally or professionally mm-hmm. not that this is my goal but being a human rights lawyer is a little bit more difficult to do as a recreation. Being a trauma surgeon is not exactly, you know, but you can you can be a first responder. There are different things you can do. I don't there's, want my brain surgeon to be a recreational brain surgeon, no, that's for sure. No, but I guess <laughs> there's this internally this really this really serious person inside of me. Yes. Um like the joke is uh uh, like people go, oh, I just saw the most depressing movie. You'll love it. Like that, that's what my, my <laughs> friends go on to. But like talking to the people, not just Bruce, but everyone there and like getting to see their different interests and how they're really, because they're really engaged people, really extroverted people have been given alcohol and we're talking about what everyone is doing. I finally got it and was like, ah, I am home. I am Good. Doing something I, I, I can do and I, I want to do. I love that. Um, I'm so glad yeah. you came to that <laughs> yeah. because um, I think that, uh, you know, there's nothing pisses me off more than when I hear someone say to a bartender, when are you going to get a real job or what's mm. your real job? That is, I mean, that's just fucking rude for one thing, but. I think that people don't really know how incredibly smart and talented and dedicated you guys are to your craft. And it's like you're, you're chefs of the glass and it takes a, a shit ton of preparation and planning and, and a lot of skill that I certainly don't have. Yep. Um, so I, I'm glad that you're, you're embracing this, vocation because it, it's a wonderful career and I think you'll do really well because you're smart and you you check all the boxes of the perfect <laughs> bartender so I think that's a great story Agreed. and a perfect one to end with thank you James thank for you. being thank our guest tonight together. we really appreciate yeah. it and when are you at the refractory when can people I am there almost always uh from Tuesday through Saturday and we are open Monday through Saturday and when is Misa there? We love Misa Farslow. We haven't seen her in a coon's age. I love Misa too. Um, she is. She definitely works weekends. Is usually she's she's typically serving. Okay. So she might be picking up for me on Mondays. She's there serving tables most of the week. 
Okay, so listeners get up to the refectory. Amazing food. Do you have happy hour? Oh, you do. Tell me about that. Uh, we have a whole slew of our menu entrees that are sorry, not appetizers, which are typically around fifteen or eighteen dollars for nine dollars oh, wow. during happy hour, and a list of. $8 classic cocktails and a selection of about a half dozen $6 wines, too. Oh, nice. that sounds amazing. All right, listeners, get to the refectory. It's fancy, but it's it's fancy, but it's not unapproachable. No. It's comfy, cozy. And delicious. And delicious. All right, James, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Listeners, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Seabus Craft Cocktail Tour. Visit our website at columbuscraftcocktailtour.com for cocktail tour dates, women and whiskey tastings, special events, merchandise. And if you're looking for a gift for that special person in your life, get them a gift card to our cocktail tour. Thank you to our producer, Greg Hansberry, and to the biographer for our original music. And please remember to drink responsibly and be cocktail curious. Cheers. Cheers.